Hey everybody, today on the podcast we've got Captain Yon Whiteway talking about leadership lessons from a Marine. Now before we jump in, you should know this was recorded pre-Thanksgiving as we had some delays in releasing the episode. We hope you enjoy. Check it out. Hey everybody, welcome to the Multiply Podcast. My name is Jared. And my name is David. And... Thanksgiving is a coming. It is my favorite holiday. Did wow. you know that? I did know that about you, and it's one of the things I like about you the least, because Christmas is clearly better. Um, food, <laughs> football, and family. family, and no hype, right? What, is it, what do you mean, no hype? There's not all the pressure to buy presents. There's not this well, onslaught of... You know, media pressure to have a certain holiday is just like it's the low key. It's kind of increasingly overlooked because of Black Friday, which now has sort of creeped into Thursday. And additionally, NFL football on Thanksgiving, NBA basketball on Christmas. Is there even a debate? No, that I agree with you. So, no, I just I love it. It's 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 fun. It's relaxing. And of course, um, I just I love uh I love the Thanksgiving meal. I really enjoy it. And it's and interestingly enough, turkey is one of those meats that you would think we would eat more often. But if I'm honest, except for like sliced deli turkey, a whole turkey, I mean, that's a once a year thing for us. Yeah. Yeah. We probably we probably do it a couple, maybe two or three times a year. But yes, you're right. I, I do love Thanksgiving. It, it is a, it is an amazing holiday. Although Christmas is still my favorite, but I do love it. Now, we have a guest on today. So you're not going to be doing David's Eats. Mm-hmm. So I do want to ask this question. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite go-to Thanksgiving side dish? Stuffing, or some people call it dressing, but a yeah. bread-based uh, stuffing. And um, I like, I'm I'm open to all kinds of versions of it, right? Yeah. So I can eat the stovetop out of the box and be happy. I can have like the homemade rustic, but I like lots of interesting things in there because I'm all about texture. And one, my one issue with the Thanksgiving meal as a whole is there's not a ton of texture and there's not a ton of acid. And those are two things I like don't, in my meals. Don't so, tell me you put like nuts in your stuffing or I mean, cranberries or something. You know, like. I'll mix. If I'm eating stuffing, I will. there's a cranberry orange chutney that gets sold by the jar at our local grocery store, Wegmans. And so I, I got to drag a little bit of that into my stuffing every now and then but stuffing's my jam i mean chopped up bread that's just cooked down with yeah. flavor and seasoning and some people do all kinds of crazy things in there but that's my favorite side dish i'm with you i'm with you we make two types of traditional regular stuffing and then a sausage cornbread mm, and that uh, sounds good that's my favorite yeah but, well we are excited we have a special guest here today he's a, a great friend of both of ours um speaking of turkeys <laughs> <laughs> speaking kidding. of cornish game hens speaking of stuffing with sausage <laughs> yes he's a great friend of ours and uh he's um he's a very interesting guy he's got quite a background he is a doctor a a, a, El doctor. a yeah we don't like to call him that because we try to keep him humble but he is a doctor in in leadership he's a leadership guru he is a marine not just a marine but he was a captain. I think we can ask him in a minute. I think he actually got a higher ranking there towards the end. Yep. yep. Um, he is a teacher, teaches in the MBA program at Syracuse University. Yes, he has he a is. consultant company. He's it's actually a, sort of embarrassing we haven't had him on this leadership podcast yeah. sooner. Now that we're describing all of his accolades, I mean, he also serves in a local church in a pastoral role. Like, 
what are we thinking? We should have done this a lot sooner. Especially since we see him multiple times every <laughs> week. <laughs> uh, but we're excited to have Dr. Yon Whitway, Whiteway. We'll debate his pronunciation of his last name when he gets on. Welcome, Yon, to the podcast. We're so glad to have you. Thanks, guys. This is the ultimate on my resume, just so you know. I've been waiting years and years. It took me longer to get on this podcast than I did to get a doctorate or finish my Marine Corps career. So I'm honored. Yon, what was your final ranking with the Marines? So in the Marine Corps, um, you get put up to a board, and so you get selected for a rank, and then it takes about a year for you to actually get pinned to that rank. So... I did get selected for major, but I officially got out of the Marine Corps, I think, like one month before I was supposed to pin that on, which cuts me deeply because my little brother is now a major, and so uh, he technically outranks, outranks me. So, so. That, that means something even in uh, civic engagement, right? Like, isn't there some sort of order of salute because he's ranked higher than you? Yeah, if I were still a Marine, I would have had to salute him, uh-huh. but and then that you never can't, happened. And then you can't put your salute down until he does until right? he does yeah so when i i i was the first i have two <laughs> wow. brothers a prank for a little brother yeah i have two brothers one older one younger and i got commissioned as an officer before either of them so my little brother was my first salute and i they kind of did it at the same time but i made him i made him hold it up there for a little bit so <laughs> that was kind of fun that's, <laughs> that's cool. amazing yeah and and what if they don't listen? I mean, you get them court martialed. You yeah. could really play. <laughs> I ruined my brother's life. Yeah, that's clearly. Hey, the only you got to show respect. You got to right. salute. All right, now let's get to your last name because this is um you know is it pronounced Whiteway or Whitway? There's been a lot of debate over this in our friendship circles. What anybody who has seen how it's spelled knows it's Whiteway. Yeah, I mean it's funny because you. It depends on where I am. I once had a. African American Navy man look at my last name and said Whiteway, huh? And I was like, "Yep." So it was, so it's if I'm I'm Canadian, so it's Whiteway. Some people say Whitway whenever they read it. Okay, but uh, all right, the my, more confusions around his first name, don't you think? Yeah, that's true. Everyone calls you John because it's spelled J O N. Yeah, spelled J O N, pronounced Yon. So if you if you read it and hear it, everyone goes Yon. They go right to Yon. So. Because they, and it's got a little. What's that thing over? It the technically o? doesn't have a thing over it. I oh. just put it there because I didn't want people to o. call me John oh, when they read okay. it. I just wanted to know it's different. It yeah. doesn't help because people don't really know. And that's a Scandinavian name. It's Icelandic, Icelandic. for John. Yep. So my parents cursed me for life. That's so. awesome. That's awesome. Well, Yon Whiteway. Yon Whiteway. Captain, almost major, doctoral studies and degree in organizational health leadership 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 Mm -hmm. is that considered a phd it's a doctorate of education doctorate of education if you are in the academic world phd people would be would look down at us mere doctors but they call me doctor either way so well we do whenever we talk to you we call you doctor doctor john so yeah that's right (laughs) yeah well say what you will whoever wants to look down upon you um, you've got a lot of experience in leadership, um, both academically, but also practically um, in your life in the military. And we're interested um, in particular in having some conversations to you with you today about what are some of the leadership lessons that you've learned serving in the military. And um, and this is kind of a big area topic. I know there's a ton of um, ex-military guys who now do leadership podcasts, have written books, and um, our military has done a pretty good job of learning what leadership is all about in the you know hundreds of years that they've been doing this and um, in particular the Marine Corps and learning how do you lead people and it's obviously it's essential for them because you're talking about life and death 
right? So um, there's so many lessons that we can learn from um, from those who have served in the military, in particular those who have led other men and women, which which you have. So um, welcome, man. Let's. Um, I know you've got some thoughts, so we'd love to hear from you. What? Let's start off with kind of what do you think is one of the big important leadership lessons and things that you've learned in serving? Yeah. So I think probably because of the nature of the things that we do, especially I was in the Marine Corps, but also specifically the Marine Corps infantry. So, um, the, I used to describe it as the guys on the ground with the guns running into the other people who are shooting at us. So like when David and I are playing Fortnite together, yeah, almost exactly like that. So if you play call of duty, you will have known exactly (laughs) what I experienced. You did serve in multiple tours, correct? Yeah. So I was in Iraq in 2005 as essentially a a private first class, which is kind of the bottom of the barrel. And then in Afghanistan in 2010 as a second Lieutenant, which is lowest level of the officer, but I had 56 Marines that I was responsible for in Afghanistan. So, so obviously in the nature of, a war as a war fighter we're in the place where people are actively trying to to kill us right and so um one of the things that is a stark reality is as a leader um i have to be keenly aware of the fact that i am at any moment the the leader the key leader could no longer be a part of the equation right if we're in the middle of a place where people are actively trying to kill me there's a reality that i could at some point be killed or incapacitated and so one of the primary things that we that we begin with especially in the infantry world is this is a concept that they describe as commander's intent which simply means that if we're going to go do an attack or if we're on a mission whatever it is we're doing that we are i as the leader am, am required and it is extremely helpful for them for me to give them the end state of what we want that battle space to look like so if everything goes according to plan, this area, this city, this battle, whatever it is, this attack, um, it's going to look a certain way. And that's what we want it to look like. And you've all probably all heard the axiom of, you know, no plan survives first contact. So you have a great plan and then you're actively fighting an enemy that thinks they have their own plan and, and the chaos of war kind of ensues. And so... The is, goal. That, is that like the same saying when Mike Tyson said everyone's got a plan so they yes. get punched in the face? Yep, exactly. Okay, I know that out. one. Yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You've experienced that one, I think. <laughs> yeah, Maybe not. thankfully not by Mike Tyson. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's exactly it. So you have the perfect plan on paper, you go to execute it, and then um, circumstances arise where it's not working out the way it works out. But the concept of behind commander's intent is I ensure that I tell my Marines with a specific order of, um, of leadership, a, a designation of who's in command if I'm incapacitated. But I want them to know, look, this is what it looks like on the other end because if at some point we lose communication, we, you know, things go sideways, they know, okay, they have the freedom to, um, to change what's going on, to, to, to adapt in the middle of it so that they can still achieve that, that outcome at the end. So, it's uh it's interesting because in the way we communicate in the Marine Corps is very specific in in that I give everyone a mission which has a task which I'm telling you what to do but also a purpose. I have to tell you there's like an in order to statement in everything I tell you. So I would tell you Jared destroy the enemy on company objective alpha in order to allow second platoon to do something else. So you know why you're doing what you're doing on top of what you're doing. And it's very explicit because 
everyone has a role to play to create a battlefield to, to, to accomplish a mission and that's but it's very explicit but it's also explicit in that it's explicit because I want you to be able to adapt based on the circumstances so so what I hear you saying the leadership lesson from all of that because most of us don't function in that yep. reality is I heard you say actually a bunch of important leadership lessons the first thing is is you provide a clear vision of the desired outcome. This is what we're headed towards. This is sort of what we're hoping to see come to pass. But then you also have to provide a strategy while remaining flexible within that strategy and being able to pivot when needed because the vision is what matters more than the strategy, right? And then the third thing I heard you say was everybody needs to have a sense of how they're helping move us through that strategy and towards that vision. Yep. And so can you, you also have done leadership consulting for organizations and for churches. Uh, help us understand how maybe churches and organizations get those values wrong. Yeah, for, for one, the concept of clarity is huge. The one thing that I deal with a lot is clarity. And that's the concept of what is, do we have clarity on what that vision looks like. What does our end state, our preferred picture of the future, what does it actually look like? And there's a there's a lack of clarity in terms of the, because it's not like the Marine Corps where I have 56 guys around a, essentially a 15 by 15 foot little map on the floor with, you know, it's, we, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty robust little process we go to and I take an hour and a half describing what that end state looks like in a mission briefing. We don't have that really in the, in the, in the church world and the organization world. So you have to, as a leader, continually push the vision, continually tell people why what they're doing matters. And specifically, when you have the time to do it. And that's one of the things that the, the, the Marine Corps taught me is that when I, people think it's pretty hierarchical where I just tell you to do something and you do it. But as a leader, my responsibility is when I have the time, I not only tell you what to do, but I tell you why I want you to do it. So I'm building credibility and I'm building trust. And then eventually there's a time where we, a moment where I don't have time to tell you the why, but you've, I've built enough credibility and trust and you have clarity on what it is we're doing that I can just tell you to do something and then you'll just do it because not only do you trust me, but you have clarity on that end state as well. So as a leader in ministry or in a, in a business or in an organization, it's constantly communicating the why behind the what when you have the time to do it so that if there is a moment where you just need to say, we got to do this, then the trust is already there. The credibility is already yeah. there. So. That's that's actually really interesting. You know, the obviously when it comes to leadership and leading a team, the, a culture of trust and trusting the motivations of your leader, and even the um, ex, expertise of your leader. Right. So you could have a uh, someone in the Marines who is leading you who you trust their heart, but not their head, so to speak. Right. And then one who you trust their head, but not their heart, and both create problems in the moments where they don't have time to explain the why. Right. Yep. And that's specifically when it comes to different levels of expertise. So as an infantry for infantry officer, I had my core group of Marines, but if I depending upon what we were doing, I would have attachments. Like I would have machine gunners or I would have there would be maybe armor like tanks or nearby artillery, air support. And so my job as a leader is to know what my desired end state is, but I bring these other attachments in and I don't tell them exactly what to do. I say, hey, what can you guys do for me, right? How can you help me get here? And they Mm -hmm. tell me we can do this, we can do that. And then I have a final decision to say, well, okay, we're going to do this, this, and this. And I, I do the hard work of putting all of those 
pieces in place aligned behind that end state that we want to get to. And so that, again, it's, I'm not relying on my own. I don't have to be the expert on everything, but I have to be the expert on my area and then align the different pieces and say, how can you help me? It's an invitation, right? It's a request. It's not a telling. It's, it's an, in, I'm going to invite you into the process to help accomplish what we want to accomplish. And so that's the, the trust pieces. Yeah. They trust that my plan worked itself out because I'm not an arrogant guy going around saying, this is what we're doing. This is what we have to do because I know best. It's I've listened to the people who, who know, and I've invited them into the process. So let me ask one more question. How do you as a leader, not so much maybe in the military environment, but in an organizational business, local church, non-for-profit, what are some indicators that you're not getting certain aspects of that right? Like what do you see and what, what are you looking for in your team members that indicates I'm not doing a good job at this? Yeah, I think um, one of the areas is, is probably meetings. If you have a boring meeting, then you're probably not doing it right because people aren't willing to speak up. You're not willing to hash things out. If you're not regularly engaging with people around how it's working, um, then you're then it's that's an indication that there's a that you are either leading really um, autonomously where you're making decisions and you're not inviting other people into the process, yeah. and you're creating a culture and an environment where people are not willing or they don't feel um, that they trust you enough to actually to push back on your idea and say, well, I agree with that, but based on the way I perceive things, here's what I think the potential points of friction could be. Right. And so that's, that's one of the ways in which you can say, well, who's around me that's pushing back on my ideas and what kind of culture am I creating on my team? Or even, do I even have a team? Do I, am I meeting with them? I, and so that's one of the big things. And then also potentially um, just identify, really inviting, asking them what they're, if, if, if someone can't clearly articulate what their job is and how it contributes to what you're yeah. trying to do, then you realize there's a problem. One of the things in the Marine Corps that we did is you, you always, there's a, there's actually a portion in the, in the mission briefing where I, as a leader, ask the people that I briefed what their job, what, what did they hear me say? Hmm. And so they actually, yeah. they actually say, well, my job is to do this, this, and that. And then I can say, yes, that's right. Or I clearly didn't communicate this route well enough. Here's some additional things. So there's a, there's a feedback loop of me inviting there what they think the clarity is. And then me um, continually injecting clarity. Yeah. So it's interesting to hear you talk about that. It's like everybody on the team, there's no, um, there's no apathy, right? Like everyone on the team knows what their job is but ultimately they know why their job is important because it plays into the overall mission and um and I, I was thinking about in the church world or business world or how often that doesn't exist yeah. and i wonder like do you think in a large part that's because the perception of what's at stake isn't there in the way that it is in the military yeah i would think so i think there i I think it's very true that I was just talking to a fellow Marine yesterday about this, that there is complacency that, that it's shocking how complacent Marines get, even in the middle of a war zone where people are trying to actively kill you. It's like you go on a, like there's signs that we have before we leave the, before we leave the friendly wire. It's like, it says complacency kills. And that's on almost every base because hmm. there is a level of complacency that sits in when you're just doing the same thing every day. And war is like 95%, you know, just hanging out, not really hanging out, but you're, boredom and then five right. percent of, of yeah. craziness right so but and there I is would, a, and i would imagine you get you would get desensitized to, oh for sure yeah right like when you ex live in that world it's like 
All right. Well, yeah, we're yeah. used to hearing bolts fly past yep. our head, and we're used to the craziness. And yep, absolutely. And so the, the one of the hardest parts of of being a leader is keeping that the that sense of urgency in there consistently and saying, well, what you're doing actually does matter. But I think how do you build a how do you instill that in someone in a ministry or in a or in a um, in a business or a nonprofit? It's well, you celebrate the things that matter, right? You celebrate the things that you are actually measuring that you that contribute to that preferred picture of the future. And so that's um, that's one of the key things that I think a lot of people don't get is like, how do I actually connect not only extrin- extrinsic extrinsic values that's the word i'm looking for so people that motivate me about like i'm going to pay you more money i'm going to give you a bonus or whatever i'm going to give you a new title but how do i connect what you're doing to something that's more intrinsic that you find value in as an individual um and that's kind of the 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 trick for helping people see well what am i doing actually matters or there's a heightened sense of what's at stake yeah oh man i I love that i've done a lot of a lot of lessons to be learned there um, so for the sake of time, cause I think we could spend tons of time just continuing yeah. to go down this, um, share with us what's, what's some other like kind of big lessons that you've learned in your time serving. Yeah. Um, so one of the other ones is kind of uh, a little, they call them ditties in the military. That means they're little sayings that help you remember things. And one of them is inspect what you expect. So we're in, so one of that just simply means my job as a leader is, um, I, I tell you what to do. I tell what the standard is. We create a standard and it's my job to inspect it and ensure that that standard is maintained and so that simply means anytime i create a standard and the marine corps has a lot of standards based upon appearance based upon physical fit, physical fitness all that stuff whatever the standard we should, is we should note that you're defining the standards because you have a massive beard right yes now. i have a beard that's one of the reasons like i had to get out before beards weren't cool anymore <laughs> that so would only that be allowed if you're special forces right yeah and they think that they're super cool, but you know. Well, they so. are in the movies. They're always the cool dudes. <laughs> yeah, that's always who Jared pretends to be on Fortnite. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> makes me call him Special Force Barry. That's right. Yep. Real quick, I know what you're saying is different than micromanaging. Yeah. Tell our listeners how. Yeah. So it's not micromanaging. It is. So I'll give you an example. So if I were, I know that. So my Marines know that they're not supposed to be like laying around. Looks like they're sleeping, just sitting around, hanging out. It's one of the things in the Marine Corps. Jared would never make it. I know, he would be done. <laughs> yeah, he's laying down right now, actually. It's weird. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, just the idea of you really always have to be doing something or at least pretend that you're doing something, right? And so when I walk around as, as a as a, as a a captain, it those Marines don't, they belong to me, but they don't, like, they there's a chain of command. And so I wouldn't say, I would say, hey, hey, gentlemen, what, do you, what, what are we doing right now? And I would ask them, right? And I'm, I'm not... I'm not yelling at them and assuming that they're not doing something right. I do inquire. I'm like, what are you guys doing right now? What are you supposed to be doing? They could tell me. And then if they're not doing what I know that they should be doing because I kind of have the schedule of day, I don't talk to them. I go and talk to their leader, and I'm like, hey, hey, Sergeant Johnson, explain to me a little bit about what your Marines are doing. And, again, it's not a condemnation. I'm not accusing them of anything. I am actually legitimately asking them what they're doing right. because he might have an answer. Say, well, sir, they're doing this or they're doing that. And so it's not me going around – telling people everyone what to do it's me going around kind of ensuring and asking questions and saying i i got a pretty good idea of what people should be doing i'm just curious what it is you're doing and if sergeant johnson says we're doing this and we're doing that i can say okay good you guys are meeting the intent it's not exactly how i would do it but that's that's great you know keep, yeah. keep it up so so is that it sounds like one of the things you're saying and i i, I find this really relevant because i see a lot in the church world is you um you don't circumvent the leadership flow. Yep. 
that is one of the hardest things to do. <laughs> it is. Because it feels like when you do that, if you do that, you cut basically the legs out of the leader who, yeah. who, and then that person feels like, well, what, what the heck? I'm not really in leadership then. So yep. talk 100%. to us a little bit about that. Like, yeah, there's nothing worse than, um, there's nothing worse than cutting the legs out of your leaders. Um, and, and I, I'm, my goal is always to empower them. So when you're in garrison in the Marine Corps, when you're not in the fight, you know, that's where. I want them to learn how to be, to take ownership and empower them to make decisions on how they think things so that in the fight, they have been empowered to make decisions based on the intent. Right. And so if I go around correcting the people that work for Sergeant Johnson, my, the PFCs and the Lance Corporals, you know, he might actually be doing something for a reason and he might be able to articulate it and say, sir, this is why I was doing it. And if I go around and telling them that that happens a lot because I don't, they just there's a there's a way in which that senior leader perceives the way it should be done, but they're not the the sergeant the middle the kind of the middle manager leader isn't doing it the way that the senior leader wants to do it. So they go directly down to the lowest level, and yeah, you've just cut that you've cut that leader's legs off, and they're like, okay, well, uh, what's the point, right? It's yeah. essentially next time next time the conversation isn't I've just taken away commander's intent completely because next time I talk to them, they're like, okay, sir, tell me exactly how you want me to do it. And then I'll just, I'll just do exactly what you want me to right. do, as opposed to helping them. Because they know if they, it doesn't matter what decision yeah. you make, right? If you disagree, you're just gonna come and yep. correct their decision to the guys they're trying to lead. Yep. Yeah. And that is the hardest part because I actually, as a as a lieutenant, as a captain, uh, actually having been in their roles as sergeants, I'm actually I think better at their job than they are, right. <laughs> because I've done it and I have more training and more experience. But that doesn't matter, right? I can. And that's where the, there's a coaching element that comes in where I can have a, a pro, that's a proactive leadership where I say, I'm not just going to tell you an intent, but I'm going to ask you, Hey, so, so Sergeant Johnson, what are your thoughts on what do you, how are you anticipating solving this problem? And so that's a proactive thing where there's expectations too, right? And inspect what you expect means I have to have clarity that, that my, the people that are underneath me know what they're supposed to be doing. And so I can help coach them proactively instead of correcting them on the back end. I can coach them on the front end and say, what are some of the ways you're thinking of, of doing this? And then I can ask them questions around, okay, well, have you thought about this? Have you th thought about that right. based on my experience? And so I'm no, I'm no longer micromanaging. I'm just helping coaching them on the front end because there's nothing, there's a lot of times I would let things go because I just did not want to show up and correct this leader in front of his Marines because I would just be discrediting him in front of the people that are supposed to be trusting him. So. Yeah. It's kind of like, um, I, I can't remember exactly the saying, but it's like you sacrifice the best for the immediate or something like that. So like in a church world or a business world, yeah. you, you see something and you're like, you know, okay, so let's think of a church world. Pastor David walks into the sanctuary and he sees some of the chairs not in line the way they should be. Yeah. So the immediate is we got to fix this. Yep. So let me go to the person who's supposed yep. to do that and tell them what's going on. Yeah. Let me give you a great example. It's perfect. I, I experienced this at our church the other day because we have social distancing chairs and our ushers are, you know, we have t seats of two and seats of four and five for families. And we watched, I was in the lobby and I watched an usher um, doing his job, right? Doing exactly what we told him to do. But I watched a, to a couple, a young couple who I, we did, I didn't recognize, so they're obviously kind of first-time guests. They sat down in like a five chair, kind of at the back of the room, and, and this usher, God bless him, doing his job. They're like, we're halfway sitting down, and he goes, well, he stopped them, and I could just see him pointing like to the two seats, which were more up in the front. And so I was like, 
they 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 were very hesitant. You could see the guests were like, "Well, I don't know if I." So part of me wanted to run in there and be like, "No, no, no, they're fine. They can sit here just to make the guests feel comfortable." But at the other end, I'm like, "I'm gonna just embarrass this usher. Like he's not no, he doesn't know what he's doing." And so it's like, "Okay, well, what do you do in that situation? Do you just..." So I just, you know, yeah, I let him sit them where they where he put them. And then talk to the guest services guy and said, hey, we, we need to just kind of refine this and make sure that we tell our people that he's following the letter of the law. But, right. you know, to, he's he's not the, the 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 big picture of guest services and hospitality is helping people feel comfortable if it's their first or second time. So, yeah. Yeah. But if you had ran over, you can cut his yes, leadership. Exactly. Off, and yep. the guy who oversees him. Yep, cut, exactly, yeah, exactly. Yep. That's, that's that's good. Yeah. that And that's a. Uh, that's a judgment call too, because there are times maybe yep. what's at stake is so significant, yep. right? Yep. And so that's where the sort of leadership intuition um, kicks in. So I think we maybe have time for just one more big idea of leadership. Um, so sure. hit us with it. Give I us your best stuff. Oh, great. Yeah. This hit actually connects shot. to. I keep singing. I can't. I'm inspired. <laughs> yeah. It uh, it connects to all that, but it's this idea of being at the point of friction as a leader. And so it actually connects directly to what we were talking about in that um, if I give an intent of what I want the, the battlefield or the end state to look like of whatever task I give and I tell them why I want them to do it and I inspect it, the concept of, well, how does all that happen is that as a leader, I have to be in what is called the point of friction, which means the place where things could go wrong. And so that includes, for example, that example we just gave with the with the usher, I mean, if I'm not present, if I'm just hanging out in my office before service and or before something's going on and, and I'm not actively looking around, I'm not at the point of friction where things are actually happening. I'm just hanging out, right? And in the in the in the Marine Corps world it's in the in the infantry world it's okay, if I'm if I'm in an attack, right, I'm at the point of friction where things could go wrong, where I'm with the squad that's making entry into the building. It doesn't mean I'm the first one kicking the down the door because I'm not, there's other Marines who are better at that and I'm not as good at that, but it's at a point of friction where, um, I'm at the place where once we kick down the door, that's where the actual fighting is taking place at that moment. Fighting's taking place everywhere, but in this, in the context of what we're doing, that's the place where things could go wrong. So I have to be there to make quick decisions and to take, really take some of that decision-making responsibility off of the guy, maybe a Sergeant Johnson, who's trying to fight his squad. I'm fighting the platoon which is four or three or four squads of Marines. So I'm empowering him to to do his thing because I'm there helping him make decisions based on the big picture. But mm -hmm. it's at the point of friction. If I'm back at the rear, just looking through binoculars at him going through a door and clearing a house, then I'm not at the point of friction. And then I'm trying to send a, sh a call over the radio. I'm trying to communicate to him, but right. I can't do it because there's all sorts of, there's all sorts of mediating factors that don't let me do it so in the church world and the organizational leadership world is you know am i at the places where decisions need to be made where failure could happen um regularly and that's not the same place all the time but it, it rotates as you're going through yeah something. and i would think too that that helps you lead people better right because you understand um what they're going through what they're facing versus exactly. trying to trying to lead and second guess from a way far distant yep you know yep and sometimes it includes like grabbing a marine and be like hey you cover the staircase or you cover that stick your like 
put your weapon out this window and cover that building, right? right. It, sometimes it's moving individual pieces because I'm there, yep. and as a leader, I can make that decision. But for the most part, it's it's realizing things are going bad or things are going right or I'm adjusting things on the fly based on what we want to happen. But I got to be at the place where things are happening and I can interact with with the the people who are actually doing the the the, the good work of fighting the fight. Yeah. So. That's awesome. I mean, one final question that Dave and I have been really wanting to ask you is if right now you could only have one of us to serve under you, who would make the better soldier? Under me? Yeah. Um, we're we're under your command. Your life depends on us. Oh, man. Who would you rather have as a soldier? Who would make a better soldier is really what I'm asking. I don't know anything about soldiers. I'm a Marine, Jared. So oh, sorry. The fact that you keep saying that, is that not, by default. Isn't a soldier a general term? Well, je- it, it soldier is technically a, a member of the army. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah. Don't hold that against me in your decision making. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, I think that should be the deciding. <laughs> I think factor. that is a deciding factor. Yeah. So. Oh no! <laughs> All right, yeah. you got Dave watching your back. <laughs> I haven't a, watched you guys watch play Fortnite. I'm you very loyal. Me, but I'm very well, loyal. there was one time we were playing. He was in a battle and he threw a med kit right at a person. So think about that. That's sympathy, though. That's sympathy. <laughs> yeah. yeah Jared exactly. is definitely better at me than Fortnite, but. But that also means he's invested a lot more time. It's kind of like win-lose. That's true. (laughs) All right. Well, hey, we want to close the portion. Every every do we do a portion called David's Eats, you know, where we uh, we want to make better leaders and better eaters. Mm -hmm. And so we want to ask you today with Thanksgiving right around the corner, kind of what I start off with, David, what's your go to Thanksgiving side dish side dish? I thought you were going to ask me my favorite part of Thanksgiving meal. Okay, well, dark meat or white meat. I prefer dark meat. Yes, me too. Well, you are so you're a turkey guy because some people go. I'm crazy not a huge dirt. turkey guy, but I'm. I, I mean, I, I like it. But, but you're not going ham. You're not no, going. No, I'm okay. not going ham. No. All right. And ironically, I'm. Yeah, I mean, I, so I grew up in Canada. So Thanksgiving is like a month and a half before think American Thanksgiving. So right. not that that has any influence on what we eat. They, it's kind of almost. Is it? Is it the same? Very similar. It's pretty much the same stuff. Yeah. Wow, interesting. But I remember growing up, my brother always wanted turnip, which I thought was just disgusting turnips yeah yeah like I mashed like turnips. turnips yeah yeah and they're like yellowish in color and yep. so i don't know i my my dad has a has a way of making mashed whipped mashed potatoes that are essentially just whipped butter and so <laughs> it's hard to go wrong with that so it's like four sticks of butter and one potato you're like wow these are good exactly. but i'm also a bread guy so i mean those little whatever they make for breads dinner rolls or croissant yeah like dinner roll like puff no, pastry yeah like a puff pastry yeah. type thing yeah yeah, yeah. So. yeah. It's all good. So basically, we've all landed on carbs. Yeah. yeah. Well, that is what the day's about. We hope all our listeners have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Yeah. Pray Enjoy. that your turkey's not dry mm. and that the stuffing is plentiful. Mm, absolutely. Mm. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Multiply Podcast. We'll see you guys next time. <laughs> <laughs>